Welcome to your library podcast. I'm Hanna Vierkamp, Creative Experience Resource Specialist at St. Louis Public Library. And I'm Mary Meyer, Manager of Digital Library Services. The library reopened to the public for limited hours and limited services this month, and we continue to offer curbside services and a variety of virtual programs as well. This spring, the library is hosting a series of lectures with Mark Glenshaw about Great Horned Owls of Forest Park. Today on your library podcast, we'll spend most of our time with Mark. We'll hear about his research and his special connection to the library, and we'll even visit the owls. But first, it's Women's History Month, and the library has a new program to collect and archive personal stories about the women in our families. Hello, I'm Regina, and I'm an adult services provider at the Central Library, and I'm here to encourage you to participate in our Women's History Month programs. All of them are virtual, so physical boundaries are no problem. We have a program called the Voices of St. Louis, Women in the Family. Basically, to honor the women in our families, we are encouraging customers to record their own unique histories of the women in their families in the form of oral history recordings. Together as a community, we can document and preserve and celebrate the legacy of these women in our families. We are encouraging people to submit their recordings and then share those, if you so desire, with the greater St. Louis community. So part of the conversation is with this Voices of St. Louis is recording your family members while they're alive. We also reintroduce our genealogy department. And basically the point is genealogy, you're researching people, people in your past, your ancestors. Um, the oral histories tend to give a lot of personality, some depth to your family history that, you know, photos and other ephemera can't provide so that one can augment the other. You know, given technology is so much easier these days, doing an oral history provides you a unique opportunity to capture them while they can speak to their experience instead of waiting and having that, I wish I had asked. So we're encouraging people to reach out to their live relatives and honor them. This is an awesome way to make your history more vibrant. That was Regina, adult services provider at Central Library. You can find more information about Voices of St. Louis Women in the Family under the virtual events quick link at slpl.org. Mark Glenshaw calls himself an OWL ambassador. In a little bit, we'll hear about his virtual programs at St. Louis Public Library and about Charles, the great horned owl he has studied for 15 years. But we start in Forest Park, where Mark offered to leave Mary and I on an owl prowl. So I've been studying Charles for many years, and it's always a very dynamic situation. And right now is a very exciting time because Charles has a brand new mate barely two months and they already have babies. Doing well. These are Mary and Hannah from the St. Louis Public Library. Oh, cool. This is my friend, nice. one of my mentees, Alexis oh, Miano. Nice to meet you. A big nice SLPL patron as well. Totally. <laughs> totally. How cool. Yeah. My name is Mark Glenshaw. I'm an award-winning naturalist and I study the wildlife in Forest Park and I've been doing so since the early 2000s. And for 15 years now, I've been studying the same male great horned owl, an amazing owl named Charles and his mates and their offspring. Yeah, day in, day out, 
year in, year out, just a fantastic, fascinating animal to study. And a big part of my work is doing outreach work like this. I lead an average of 70 tours per year, tours called Owl Prowls in Forest Park. I wish I could say that I invented that term, but that would be a lie. And I also give a lot of lectures uh, across Illinois and Missouri and beyond, about 50 lectures a year. And I'm thrilled and honored to be presenting again for St. Louis Public Library. Uh, I'm doing three talks this winter and early spring for the library. Libraries are were my, if not my absolute favorite place to give talks because I'm a big library user. I like to advocate for libraries and I've even worked at libraries, including St. Louis Public Libraries, the very first library at which I actually worked. And I met my girlfriend, Wendy Schlegel, who was also working there at the time. So we have a rich personal and career history with libraries and uh, very happily and specifically with the St. Louis Public Library. So how did you get into studying owls and tell me about Charles in particular and your relationship with him? I've always been into wildlife. Uh, that This interest is lifelong. But I found myself in the early 2000s noticing that this interest in wildlife is really coming up to the forefront. It's actually, you know, when I was working at St. Louis Public Library. And uh, I thought, where can I study owls close to my home here in the city of St. Louis? And I realized, oh, genius, you've been living close to Forest Park for years now. Why don't you go there? And I'm embarrassed to say I barely knew the park prior to this. And so I quickly fell in love with the park and its wide array of wildlife. Just as an example, uh, there are over 200 species of birds have been documented in Forest Park. And loving the park, loving its wildlife, knew there were owls in the park from talking to uh, reputable people and reading reputable sources uh, that the library lends always. And uh, really never expected to see owls because while I knew very little about owls, I knew how hard they are to find for three key reasons. They're mostly active at night, they're incredibly well camouflaged, and if that wasn't enough, they fly fast and silent. So I really wasn't even looking for them but one day, a day I wish I had written out, but in late August, early September of 2005, I stumbled upon this pair of great hornals who I named Charles and Sarah. And literally a life-changing night. In a very brief period of time, I saw the owls hoop together in a duet, a beautiful vocal and visual display. I saw them fly several times, fast, powerful, ethereal in flight. But I wasn't prepared for the cherry on top moment, which occurred when, much to my surprise, one of the owls went after a great blue heron, a bird twice its size, and the heron was terrified. So I was totally hooked. I mean, these owls in 20 to 30 minutes took my love of Forest Park and its wildlife and poured gasoline on the fire. And I realized I have to learn everything I can about owls in general, great horned owls in particular, and these individual, this pair of great horned owls. And since then, I've been spending over 300 nights a year in Forest Park, and my work has just grown and grown and grown. And yeah, Charles has had five mates now. He has a, a brand new mate, very interesting situation. And it's, you know, it's like watching a family develop and grow and change. And we've had 
birth and we've had deaths and we've had all sorts of things and it never stops being fascinating because every night is different every night is unique and you never know what's going to happen next so when we were talking the other day you said that there weren't any babies that you'd seen yet so you saw some babies now we heard babies on tuesday at least one on wednesday we saw one and as of friday we have seen two. Oh, that's exciting. So if you look across the way here, you see two very large trees. The tree on the left has a very large hollow in the trunk. And if you look in that hollow, you see a dark object. And that is Charles's new mate, Sophie. And here's a very zoomed in photo. And you can see one of the babies, that gray, white, ball oh, of fluff is a two to three week old owlet not a towelet but an owlet <laughs> and you you see now with your binos and even from with your naked eye how big she is so she's right around two feet tall charles like wow. uh, the vast majority of birds of prey the females are larger he's about 20 to 22 inches tall and when they nest, the females are very protective and can be very aggressive. Um, so it's very important to keep in mind their well-being is the most important thing. So notice how we're here and not 30 yards closer. These are very powerful animals. They eat everything from beetles to raccoons to great blue herons, birds that are twice their size. And I think most people would not mess with a raccoon. And if you're not gonna mess with a raccoon, raccoon, do not mess with an animal that eats raccoons. So one's own safety is very important as well. So let's come down a little further, see if we can get... Hey, Jeremy. Hi, Shadow. So let's head over and take a look at Mr. Charles. So when a female great horned owl is nesting, her mate generally perches within about 100 yards of the hollow. Pardon me, well, hollow or wherever the nest may be. Actually, let's talk about that for a second. Great horned owls are the most widespread, commonly found owl in North America, every state but Hawaii. Come on over here. Every province of, and territory of Canada and much of Latin America. And there, in the middle of the tree with all the vines, towards the top, is Charles. So the tree directly across from us, a lot of vines hanging down and around. There he is. You see him? I do, yeah. Ah, he was just stretching a little. So this is his morning. So how do you know that it's always the same couple or that it was Charles and that now he has a new partner? And do owls, are they life bonded usually or how is that with owls? It, it depends on the species. And just to put that in perspective, there are over 200 species of owls and they're found on every continent except the Antarctica. So there are a few things you can generalize with owls, but you also hit the, the generalization ceiling pretty fast. But with great horned owls, they are monogamous. It's both romantic and practical. You know, there they are, making it work. 
but it's also very practical because their breeding cycle is so long. It's the longest of any owl species in North America. So spending as much time as I do over 300 nights a year, you learn their markings, their posture, and also their vocalizations. male great horned owl's call. Four to seven long D notes. Very much like a French horn. Female hoots, even though the females are bigger, two parts of the female's body are smaller. The heads are more narrow and the vocal cords are smaller. So the female hoot is shorter, softer, higher notes, and more of them. Now I hear that hoot and I know it's a male great horned owl. But I hear that hoot, and I know it's Charles. Because just like our voices, their hoots are unique. So you can tell them apart from other ones pretty easily. Are you yeah. looking at them through binoculars? Yes, I use binoculars uh, and a camera with a uh, 100 to 400 millimeter lens. And uh, there are times where you, you do misidentify one for the other. Uh, I'm not going to pretend that doesn't happen just because of the lighting, the angle, what you had for lunch that day. But with, with time and practice, it could be done. And, you know, all of these things that I shared, I share with, uh, you know, pride and humility that, yeah, it, it can be tricky. And just think of someone you've known for over 10 years. You could probably identify them by the most random things or just, you know, you get a slight impression of their posture. You're like, oh, that's my friend Steve type of thing. It's quite a relationship. Do you think he recognizes you? I think for the most part, uh, with a few exceptions, that at the most it is recognition. You know, not like, oh, Mark, hello. You know, how's your mother? Um, what are you doing for the holidays? Lovely. Um, but, oh, there's that guy again. And he's not bothering me because... If I'm there watching the house, I'm in their home. So I need to be a good guest. So I try to minimize my impact as much as possible. I wear dark, muted colors. I move quietly, I talk quietly. And I just try and do my best owl imitation and not disturb them at all. And that, if there is an element of recognition and trust, it comes from the frequency and the longevity, but more than anything else, doing the right thing every time you're out there. And I never take that recognition and possible trust as a given. Quite the contrary, I try to build on that every night. Is there a big community of great horned owls that live there, or is it mostly just... Given the size of the park, which is large, and the size of great horned owl territories, which are also uh, large, but can vary quite a bit, there are three, possibly four pairs of great horned owls in the park as we speak, and an unknown number of single owls. And single owls, regardless of species, are called floaters. Since the great horned owls, and most owls, are highly territorial, I generally don't see if I'm watching Charles and company, I generally don't see too many others, but I, I also will at times. I also will seek out some of the other pairs from time to time. Do you know what happened to Sarah the Owl? 
Sadly, Sarah died in July of 2015. It could have been, yes, injury or illness, but it may have been a turning of the corner, of natural uh, end of life. It's one of those things, you know, when you study life, you're going to have to also study and, and deal with death. How did you choose their names? Oh, Char that's that always a good question. Charles was a gut instinct reaction, just like Charles. Post-facto analysis made me think, you know, Charles is a good name with a lot of applications. It could be the guy down the block or the guy in the palace. It could, it's also a name, so I thought about it more, my girlfriend Wendy is a connoisseur of the cute. And I knew Wendy would love that name and just saying that name, never mind seeing the owl and saying the name. And Wendy was out here last night, and as she always does, she coos at Charles, going, oh, Charles, Charles. Because as you'll see, he's like an incredibly beautiful, great horned owl. Now, sometimes I get pushback and people say, because I also named the trees that the owls use, and people will say, well, why do you get to name the owls? Why do you get to name the trees? And my simple reaction is, after 15 years, I think I've earned that. Do owls usually have young each spring, or what is the life cycle for the baby owls usually like? With great horned owls, one thing you can generalize about is that anywhere you have great horned owls, they're one of the very first birds, if not the first bird in that area, to nest. In the St. Louis area, great horned owls are pretty much the earliest nesting birds. Uh, the occasional bald eagle might be right there with them. So around here, they start to nest in anywhere from mid-December to mid mid to late January. And the reason they have to nest so early, I mean, there they are nesting not in late winter, but the beginning of, and middle of winter, is that their young take a very long time to become independent. The young grow physically very fast, but it takes a long time for their abilities to catch up. Uh, in human terms, imagine having a child with the body of a teenager and the abilities of a toddler. So the babies are very small. Now this isn't very great for audio, but I'm holding in my hand a ceramic replica of a great horned owl's egg. And I, this is smaller than the very good pasture-raised chicken eggs in my fridge. And they hatch from this egg and grow very fast. They will be 80% of that massive adult height and weight in two to three months. But here's the kicker. While the bodies grow like weeds on steroids, their abilities to fly, land, land well, and eventually hunt go like molasses in slow motion. So how long do they stay with their parents? They stay with their parents for a very long time. Here in the St. Louis area, they're going to be hatching mid-February to late-February, and then, dependent on their parents, for the spring, much of the summer, and then dispersing in the late summer and early fall. And then the parents start all over again. And you said that there's only a few couples of owls in the park, though, so do the babies go off somewhere else to find other territory once they're grown? Very much so. Uh, they do disperse from the parents' territory. This is very important. If the owls did not disperse, the prey populations would just get wiped out. Uh, two, 
it's very important to keep the gene pool of great horned owls nice and rich and healthy. So it's really the only time in a great horned owl's life cycle, with, with few exceptions, that they travel any great distance. And it can be very short, one to three miles. I've read of dispersal being quite long at uh, times, over a thousand miles, but it's usually under a hundred miles. So Charles and Sarah had 23 young, but just another thing that indicates how remarkable they were as a couple. Uh, Charles, so far, and we're hoping this year is, uh, turns that trend around, but so far, Charles and his subsequent mates have not had young successfully. Yeah, Charles pulled up uh, to the sycamore here. Beautiful arching flights out of the uh, vine hide tree. Um, took his time. It was like 620, 625. Really? Um, and then from there, he went down to one of the last cottonwoods oh. on this side. Um, and very likely to. Oh. Well, there he goes right there. Oh, holy. Wow. I didn't see him. Good eye, Mary. Oh, there he is. He flew That's right cool. over my head. Did I? That's what I was just saying. Oh, you He's going they to visit. You can't hear them, huh? man. You yeah. cannot hear them. Is that Charles there or Sophie? So for begging chips. Maybe if these cars... Did he just bring over some food? Yeah. He's far out oh. on the middle tree. So he just passed it to her from his beak or something yeah. on the branch? Literally beak to beak. I had a beautiful view. Yeah. But did you see that flight back? Did you hear yeah. anything? No. Yeah. I was just looking yeah. over there. And you, you guys are going to be like, in your 90s. view out of nowhere. Tell your great grandkids about that. That was really amazing. Are the owls in Forest Park endangered at all, or are there any kind of conservancy things that people should know about the great horned owls here in particular? Great horned owls in general are not endangered, and they're not endangered in Forest Park or St. Louis or Missouri. Um, that being said, as we frequently know far too well, today's species of, oh, hey, no problem, all is fine, is tomorrow's threatened or endangered species. And you know, great horned owls are very powerful, very tough surviving animals, but their challenges do remain out there. One of the, the, the biggest thing for birds of prey, whether it's a red-tailed hawk or a great horned owl, that's problematic is people using uh, rodenticide poison to kill rodents and then not disposing of the rodent in a responsible way and then another animal, hawk, snake, owl, 
eating that animal and then dying. And the dying from secondary rodenticide poisoning is a slow, awful, painful death. So if you if you have to trap rodents, try and use just physical traps. But if you have to use rodenticide, make sure you don't just throw the dead animal out in the yard, out in the alley. Put it in a spot where an animal is not going to find it and eat it. Great. Thank you. Did you, you mentioned that you had always had a love of, of nature and wildlife and that you started to get more interested as you went to Forest Park and that you learned a lot from going to the library. Did you have formal training or have you been mostly self-taught in your studies? That's a great question. Primarily self-taught. One, one of the great things about being a naturalist is anyone can be a naturalist. All you do to qualify for that title is to study nature and share what you know with other people. And there's it has a really long tradition from people who do it, you know, professional scientific level to people who do, like myself, who do totally different things in terms of their education and profession, but still do it at a, a pretty intense level. You know, I have huge, massive respect for people that are professionally in the sciences of any and all stripes, and I, I benefit immensely from them. But people who are outside of that realm, but still in that field, can also make a lot of contributions. Do you have any advice for people who are just interested in getting started, either studying owls or with being a naturalist in general? Very much so. Yeah, I, I generally think of it as kind of a three-tiered approach. Um, field work, just spending time out. There's no shortcut, whether it's mosses or snakes or fish or owls. You've got to spend the time out in the field. And then, hey, this is where libraries come in huge. You've got to do your homework and your research. You know, finding one of the good books to have and you know, hitting the databases and, and things like that. I'm sure like you and uh, many other people, I, I'm blessed and cursed with many interests. But anytime I revisit an old interest or I have a new interest, the first and best place I, I go for information are libraries. And yeah, the web is great. There's a ton of great stuff on there. I use it a lot. But if I really want to find the best depth and breadth and reliability of information, that's my libraries. That's a great pitch. Thank you. And then the third thing is collaboration. And that's extremely helpful, not just in, you know, getting to know an individual area or an individual animal, but just as a good human thing to learn from other people and share with other people. And you know, one thing I always tell people when they're looking for owls in their neighborhood, whether it's you know the immediate residential area or their local park, is talk to your neighbors. What you see in your neighborhood is significant, but it's only a slice of the pie. And I would say that to anyone, whether they're in Forest Park or Yellowstone or you know Maple Lane in such and such town. That's great. And it seems like you're really generous with talking to people that way. Thank you. I, I, I call this owl ambassadorship. It's it's really important on, on many levels. And, you know, to me, if you're passionate about something, a bit of an expert about it, and you're not encouraging it, you're not, you don't make it interesting, shame on you. Yeah, that's a, a good philosophy. Thank you.
Thank you so much. This is so You're fun. You're welcome, Hannah. Mary, pleasure. I love your enthusiasm for it. Yeah. It's really amazing. It was really fun. It was nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. That was Mark Glenshaw. His next presentation at the library is Forest Park Owls, Mating, Nesting, and Owlets on April 8th. Sign up at our website, slpl.org. You can find more information about Mark at his YouTube channel and blog, Forest Park Owls. Your library is produced by Creative Experience, a digital makerspace at Central and Bar Libraries. We are now welcoming customers back in the space to use our recording rooms and computers for all your creative media production needs. And we continue to offer curbside services and virtual programs as well. Starting in April, we're launching an online peer-to-peer -peer support group for artists of all media, Find out more about Artist Exchange on our virtual events calendar at slpl.org. Thanks for listening to your library podcast. I'm Mary Meyer. And I'm Hannah Vierkamp. You can find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and now TuneIn and Spotify. Please follow us and leave a review. We welcome your feedback and suggestions, and you can contact us at podcast at slpl.org. Our theme song is by staff member Gary Moore. Additional music was by Carlos Eshapari Shapartigai. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs>